four major European soccer leagues, but we didn't want to spam you with a bunch of content you're not a fan of. So we created different channels for each sport we'll be covering this soccer and football season. That way, you can easily subscribe to your favorite channel, whether it's NFL, college football, or soccer. We've got you covered with everything you need to know to be ahead of your betting game. A little heads up, guys. This week, we'll have shows every day from Tuesday to Friday, and we'll have some interesting guests. So make sure to hit the notification bell. Don't say I didn't warn you. See you guys soon. This NFL season, Matt Landis, Las Vegas Chris, and Scott Kellen will break down the games live every Tuesday and Friday on our BetUS NFL YouTube channel. Subscribe, hit that bell now, and never miss a show. BetUS, where the game begins. have you covered for all four major European soccer leagues, but we didn't want to spam you with a bunch of content you're not a fan of. So we created different channels for each sport we'll be covering this soccer and football season. That way you can easily subscribe to your favorite channel, whether it's NFL, college football, or soccer. We've got you covered with everything you need to know to be ahead of your bet. Welcome to the BetUS College Football Show, and welcome to our overview and betting strategy show. I am your host, Gary Seegers. This is all courtesy of your experts here at BetUS, where the game begins. I'll go ahead and give you guys a quick introduction. To the left is Parker Fleming. To the right is Kyle Hunter. And we are going to go ahead and give you full introductions to everybody, because we're going to talk about everything that we do going into... Uh, college football season, how we pick games, our strategies, the common terms that we use, etc. Before we get started, go ahead and let you guys know, sign up today at BetUS.com. You can use the promo code NCAAF2021. That's right. It's the year. Very easy. There is a link in the description as well, so make sure you knock that out. While you're down there, go ahead and make sure that you are subscribed to the channel. This is the first of many live shows that we will be doing this season breaking down college football games the entire year. It's going to be a good time, so make sure you are subscribed. Hit that notification bell, and go ahead and jump in the comments. Jump in the chat. We've already got Steven in here, so dive into the chat and let everybody know to come and watch the BetUS College Football Show. Now, let's go ahead and dive into our first topic of the day. This is going to be a short one. Just go ahead and let you guys know. We will break down games tomorrow on the Thursday show, but today... Again, we're going to break down everything about what goes into getting ready to bet a college football season. The first thing, what you can expect from the BetUS College Football Show. You can expect to talk about the games. We're not going to dive too much into storylines. We're not going to talk about rankings, everything else. We are going to talk about the games. We are going to dive into the matchups that we find value with, that we want to share with you. It's not always going to be the biggest games, but go ahead. That's fine. You can jump into the chat with that. If you do have a question, we will have a Q&A at the end of every show. So expect games and a lot of discussion about games, breaking them down from an analytics point of view. So go ahead and make sure and jump into that chat. If there is a game that we have not brought up that you would like to talk about, that's where you can put it. So uh, along with that, let's go ahead and dive into our introduction for 
who our guests are, who are the experts. You see them on the screen. If you're subscribed, you may already know at least one of them. I'll go ahead and tell you about myself. I am your host, Gary Seegers. I am the owner, a writer, and the host over at Winning Cures Everything. I've been betting on college football since I was 21. I am now 38 years old. Uh, I have been pretty good at it. I have hosted other college football shows in the past. And these two guys that are with me, I have known for quite some time. They are exceptional at what they do. We will go ahead and start with Parker. He is our analyst. Parker, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody about yourself? Yeah, so I have um, been, uh, you know, during uh, during math classes in undergrad and graduate work, I got bored and said, I, I don't really care about this, but I like football. And so a lot of my uh, betting and experience comes from just, you know, doing a bunch of math classes and doing a bunch of uh, effectively doodling while I was supposed to be listening to those classes and thinking about how college football happens. Um, I like to kind of uh, marry numbers with kind of common sense and with thinking about narratives. And uh, so I, I use a very numbers based approach, but a lot of that is just to create a barometer. A lot of times my numbers will say something and I'll come up with a reason to disagree with them uh, that kind of incorporates some of those non-measurable factors in the in the game of football there is a lot of randomness and so i i'm excited to account for randomness and i love talking about how we're talking about the lines as much as the actual lines themselves because they are nice ways to compare matchups and figure out kind of how these things go together um primarily uh got my start in football analytics because i'm a passionate tcu fan started applying some numbers and concepts to figuring out what has been wrong with the tcu offense these last couple of years and so um you can uh you know read all that stuff at my newsletter purple theory that's where i do a lot and then uh cfb-graphs.com is this tool that I've, I've used to kind of share my numbers and say, here's what I look at when I look at games, here's all the possible information, um, and and here's how I kind of preview and think about games. And so uh, those, are, those are really the three things that I do in football analytics, all centered around how do we compare who's better and by how much each, uh, how much that team is better. Now, Parker is our analyst. Kyle is our handicapper. And he is a professional award-winning handicapper at that. Kyle, let's go ahead and, and dive into you. Tell us about yourself. Yeah, so um, I, my degree is in finance. My background started at Wall Street in the stock market. Um, 37 years old, I started doing uh, betting on sports in 2004. Started professionally handicapping in late 2009. College football has always been a passion for me way before I started betting on it or anything like that. Uh, you know, the goal for me is to try to help bettors of this show become uh, – more educated betters, you know, do a better job with all your bets. You know, I think the people who do the worst are the ones that go into this with no game plan, right? There's more than one way to try to bet on college football. Um, I consider myself a blend of an old school handicapper and a new statistical analyst. You know, I try to incorporate the numbers, everything like that. Uh, you know, my long-term track record's been very good. I'm not one of those guys to to uh, stand and beat my chest when I win a game or get too low when I lose a game. I'm up 70 units, one flat betting one unit per play since 2010, 57% on college football totals all time. It's a little over 1,100 plays. So a pretty large sample size there. Uh, you know, I hope to be able to help everybody watching this uh, become a better sports better and uh, looking forward to doing it. I think this is going to be a lot of fun, guys. I think so as well. Now, you mentioned helping betters, and that is what we're here for. So why don't we dive into some of the common terms that you guys will be using. Now, I am a novice. I don't know all of this stuff. You guys have got degrees in finance and, and Parker's running numbers, doing all this coding and whatnot. 
I'm just regular Joe Schmo. You guys are going to help me out as well. Let's dive into the common terms. Kyle, we're going to start with you. Let's start off with one thing that I know that you've mentioned multiple times already, power ratings. Explain power ratings to us. Yeah, so I'll give you the brief version of power ratings here. My power ratings, I rate quarterbacks up to 15 points maximum for a team, running backs 10, wide receivers 10, offensive line 15, defensive line 15, linebackers 10, secondary 10, and coaching staff 15. So it's a maximum of 100 points. You're on that scale. This is obviously not one player. These are the uh, combined group of quarterbacks, combined group of running backs. One of the big things I like to do is look at depth for a team. You know, we kind of talked about some of these teams are far deeper than other teams. You know, you next guy up is almost as good as the one before them. So, you know, it's a maximum score of 100. I readjust these every single week. It takes a lot of time. You know, um, I kind of do enjoy diving through those box scores and just seeing, you know, all the little nuances of how a team won and how a team lost. Like, you know, how was that final score actually happening? You know, the assumption, though, is that betting markets are pretty sharp in the long run. They're efficient. So I always adjust based on what the closing line was as well. I don't want my line to be 20 points off of what the closing line was. You know, some people think that's a good thing. It's actually not a good thing. So power ratings, that's how I do it. You know, for example, I'll just give you an example. Texas A&M, I have 89 points right now. Notre Dame, 83. So Texas A&M would be minus six on a neutral field for me. Uh, they'd be minus nine and a half at home. So that's just kind of how I go about doing my power ratings. Now, while we've got you, you, you brought up those. Let's switch over a little bit. Let's talk about tempo and pace. That is something that you have mentioned on the show. I'm sure that you will continue to. Uh, tell me how that works as far as analyzing a game. Yeah, so tempo is is vital to especially betting on totals, right? And totals is what most of my plays will be on. I hope we'll get to talk about plenty of totals this year, certainly. Um, you know, points per play and points per possession formula, I have both for these. Um, it's on projected tempo for the game. You want to know how many snaps each team might get, how many possessions they might get, um, and their efficiency. So tempo is vital because you're looking at how long before, you know, you see that play clock running down, you see it in the bottom of the screen. Uh, one team may snap it when there's still 20 seconds left on the play clock. Another may snap it with two every time. If you're watching an Army or Navy game or something like that, we can have games that, you know, they may possess the ball the entire quarter just slowly moving the ball down the entire field, which can be really frustrating for the other team. But I'll talk a lot about tempo-based numbers uh, when it comes to totals because, you know, the pace at which they play at, that's the most important thing when it comes to a total. Obviously, efficiency offensively and defensively as well. But we're going to talk a lot about tempo. I know Parker has some good tempo numbers as well that adjust for garbage time, which I think I'm fascinated to, to hear about that as well because, you know, we can kind of compare – you know, we know some of these teams change up the way they play late in the game. You have to, right? If you have a big lead, you're only smart if you, you know, you're going to snap it a lot lower than what you did before. Some of these teams snap it too soon, even with the lead. So these are things we'll get to talk about on here, but uh, tempo is certainly crucial. Now, Kyle, we have let you talk forever. We're going to let Parker dive in here. And I, I set it up specifically like this because we're going to get back over to Kyle. Parker, uh, Kyle sounds incredibly intelligent. What can you tell me about EPA per play? I know that CFB-graphs.com has all of that on it, and and you kind of put this together. Tell me about EPA per play. Yeah, well, I, uh, Gary, I'd go so far as to say that Kyle is incredibly intelligent. He doesn't just <laughs> yes. sound incredibly intelligent. Uh, he and I got to chat some yesterday, and uh, yeah, man, I, I'm I'm excited for us to uh, 
look at lines and compare kind of how we how we go about things, even as we do think about things similarly. So my, my favorite kind of go to stat is EPA per play. I've recently adapted that to EPA per 60 plays uh, just to kind of get like a standard kind of game unit. That's good for comparison. You know, people it, when we're talking about analytics and advanced statistics, we kind of go from like bad to good, ranging from total yards to yards per game to uh, yards per play, to things like EPA per play, and then back up to, you know, EPA per game. So that we're carrying, uh, the biggest thing that we need to do when we're using stats to look at teams is we need to compare apples to apples, right? We've got to think about situations, but we've also got to think about units. And because football is a game where pace matters so much, these efficiency numbers really need to be adjusted to account for um, how many plays, how many drives, and everything like that. Um, EPA per play basically takes that point, uh, that, 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 stat expected points added um, which translates yards to points in context and kind of compares across situations and says on average when you run a play how much are you improving your expected value right because every outcome in football is random right Uh, a really nerdy way to say that is every play in football is a draw from a random distribution Right. And so we, you know, if you're rushing efficiency, or I'm looking at Cincinnati right now, if their EPA per pass is 0.398, right? That means that's the mean efficiency when they throw a pass. That doesn't mean that every time they throw a pass, it's going to be 0.398, but that means I expect about that every time. And so we have to take into account these expectations. Pace and how often you pass, how often you rush. Um, also matter, right? Because Air Force's passing efficiency is always going to be high because what do the Air Force do? They run the ball. Uh, you know, six times in a row for successes. And as soon as your safeties come up, they go over the top for one pass play and it's a touchdown. Well, if Air Force passed 50 times a game, I wouldn't expect them to be as efficient as Alabama, right? Um, And so we have to account for tendency in EPA per play too and kind of compare um, how efficient are you on average, but then how often are you passing versus rushing and in what situations? And so what that gives me is kind of a, a, a per play point total that I can turn into a per game point total. And then I can adjust that for opponent and I can start to say, yes, this team on average in expectation uh, is is up net 22 points, whereas this other team is up net 16 points. So I'd expect team A to win by eight on an, or six on a neutral field. Um, and so that's how I kind of translate is I go to per play efficiency. I use some weird distributional assumptions to count, account for randomness. And then I aggregate that at the um, game level uh, which is a you know 60 plays, 10 drives, whatever you want to use there. And then that gives me my point totals to kind of compare people. Um, I do filter for garbage time, like Kyle said. I think that it's really hard because college football is a really, really short sample size, right? For instance, Major League Baseball. If you are smart and consistent, you are going to make money in Major League Baseball regardless, right? Because uh, you can get the trends, you can ride these hot and, you know, high and lows and, and, and um, do well in the end. Football, you know, we get way fewer observations. So, it's hard to throw some of these out. But when Ohio State is up 40 points on Wisconsin in the fourth quarter and they score a 97-yard touchdown on a run, that doesn't give me any additional information as to the relative quality of Wisconsin and Ohio State, right? That's just that's just beating somebody while they're down. So I throw out FCS games entirely, um, and I throw out anything that is uh, extreme leads in the in the second half. Um, one other thing that I do that I think a lot of per play people forget to do is I filter out drives like at the end of the um, end of the half or uh, kneels or stuff like that, that um, I think a lot of times people forget that those are in there and kind of mess with your efficiency numbers. So I really like to say, let's compare, you know, open field 
relatively close game script, that's going to give you the most information about relative quality between teams. That does make sense. So there is a bit of a strength adjustment with the numbers. Um, let's let's take that from EPA per play. Let's talk about drive control. I know you've mentioned that to me before. Yes. So drive control is one of my favorite weird stats. It is named, uh, I call it Echel. And Echel, if you'll remember, was a fullback for Navy in like 2004. He played for the Patriots a little bit in the NFL. And uh, the reason I named it Echel is because in 2004 in the Emerald Bowl, Navy had a 14 minute and 56 second touchdown drive, almost an entire quarter. Shout out to my friend Alex Kirshner at Split Zone Duo podcast, who wrote an article about this and kind of had it stuck in my brain when I was thinking about this stat. But I think I've said this before, college football is a lot like bowling, right? Bowling is... You get a turn, you get some points. I get a turn, I get some points. And then we go for a set number. And and most college football games, you're going to have similar number of possessions. Now, there's examples. For instance, Iowa State in the Fiesta Bowl in 2020 against Oregon. Iowa State stole a possession by doing an onside kick right before the second half. Um, or we talked about last week when we were talking about UNC and their pace issues and why that might mess with kind of their national championship aspirations. Um, we talked about the Florida State game where they kind of lost a possession and, and let Florida State score and ended up losing by one score. And so on the whole, I want to see what you do with possessions, right? I want to see how often you get a possession that is that is going to give you a quality uh, opportunity to score. There's a, a certain threshold uh, where EPA goes way, way up. And so if you get a drive that achieves that, or if you get a big play touchdown, I give you credit for a quality possession. The rate of quality possessions then says, how often an expectation are you setting yourself up to score, right? And then I can look at points per quality possession or points per echo, and that tells me, okay, how often are you capitalizing on that? Which again, is kind of like uh, a points per red zone trip except a little bit more statistically defined instead of an arbitrary, you know, inside the 20, whatever. Um, and so that that is my second main stat compared with the EPA per play, because then what you get is you get a measure of how consistently are you moving the ball? Because football is a game of opportunity of big plays, right? And so you need to move the ball consistently to give yourself more opportunities to break a big play, to have the defense miss a tackle, uh, to connect on a, on a big downfield pass. And then I focus on the drive quality to say at the aggregate level, how often are you setting yourself up for a scoring opportunity and how often are you capitalizing on that? Um, I think I have right here in my notes, the team that won the EPA per play margin won the game 87.6% of the time. The team that won the echo margin, so your rate of quality possessions versus the team, the other team's rate of quality possessions, won the game 85.5% of the time. If you combine those two, if you win EPA per play and echo ratio, 96.6% of the time you are winning the game. That's adjusted for garbage time, right? Those numbers don't account for kicking a, kicking a dead horse, right? Beating a dead horse. That Those are finely tuned. How well did you control the game? And they start from kind of these... I'll say caveman stats, but that might sound rude to people who like them, but the yards per play and the time of possession, which people say, right, we need to move the ball and we need to control the ball. But what I'm saying is that the actual number of yards doesn't matter outside of the situation and the actual time of clock doesn't matter as much as what do you do with quality drives. That makes sense. That that sets up so that Army and Navy and Air Force and et cetera are not going to constantly dominate that stat, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you look at Army, for instance, in 2020, um, if I look at Army's drives, uh, what I what I start to see there is that Army, you know, they're playing games that are more, uh, you know, 9, 10, 11 drives. But Army's points per echo in 2020 was only 
uh, 3.01, which is 70th in the nation. And so time of possession, Army's always going to be up there. But if Army only plays a game where they get, you know, uh, seven, seven, uh, eight, nine, ten drives instead of you know eleven, twelve, thirteen drives. There, it doesn't matter if they control the clock; they're not scoring enough to really um, take advantage of that. That makes it the perfect example. Uh, a couple of years ago, Kyler Murray was the quarterback at Oklahoma. Army held the football for what forty-five minutes, forty-six minutes in that game. Only put up twenty-one points. Oklahoma was able to get them to overtime, even with only a few drives. So, it it makes absolute perfect sense. Kyle, let's dive back over to you. PFF grades. Tell me about PFF. That's pro football focus, right? Yeah, and it's efficiency-based grades for each unit. I guess I would say the easiest way to look at this is how does a certain unit or player grade out? And I'm more interested in a unit than a specific player. Obviously, you know, somebody like a quarterback, you want to look at, at what their uh, A dot and things like that are. But uh, for the line, it can be run blocking, pass blocking. You know, we know some of these offensive lines they can block for running, but they can't stop the pass rush at all. That's that's very important to know. Defense against the run or pass. This allows us to see matchup strengths and weaknesses because I still do think that this is matchup based, right? Because uh, one team can be tremendous, but if they have one major weakness and the other team is able to take advantage of that, it could be a really bad matchup for them. So I think the PFF grades are extremely helpful in that area. Now, you said ADOT, that's uh, average depth of target for those that uh, that do not know. I, I want to talk to you about efficiency. Now, we have mentioned efficiency multiple times. Uh, Kyle, can you kind of explain what efficiency is? Yeah, efficiency is basically how um, how well you can do per drive, how well you can do per play. You know, like Parker was talking about, he made some fantastic points there, especially like uh, – I'll just throw it back real quick to what he said. The Air Force, you know, passing efficiency grade is always going to look ridiculous. You know, some of these people that say something like, look, Air Force is third in the nation in passing efficiency. Look, I mean, we, we would like to see them throw a few more times and see them drop to 100th or something like that. But, um, you know, efficiency based, you're looking at when you get the ball, what do you do with it? So different things are going to go into that, you know, third down conversion percentage, how efficient you are on first down. And second down, like Parker has said before, is going to say a lot, too, because if you're efficient in first and second down, then your third downs are going to be a lot shorter, things like that. So efficiency grades are you're looking to see how good that player or team is on that given drive or in that specific situation. So I think Parker's probably better at uh, explaining some of these. I have to say that I love hearing Parker explain some of this uh you know, it's just like a, you're sitting in class and just listen to him. Uh, he's just fascinating. I, like he said, we had a chance to talk yesterday. I just love hearing all these numbers. And like I said, I try to blend the uh, old school matchup based, you know, feel for the game with all this. And I think it's fantastic that all the viewers and listeners are going to get to hear this all year. Oh, I, I definitely agree. Uh, Parker, I want to get you to talk about efficiency right quick, explain efficiency from your side. And then I want to dive into uh, one of my favorite stats, field position. But let's start with efficiency on on your side. Yeah, so efficiency can mean a lot of things, right? Um, and so one of the biggest, you know, you can't talk about football analytics without shouting out Brian Fremo and uh, and Bill Conley, who are kind of the the some of the OGs to do college football analytics. Um, and and uh, I think that efficiency is um, I, I'm remiss. I should also say uh, Aaron, Aaron Schatz, who has the DVOA. And there's kind of these ideas of what is efficiency? Well, efficiency is is consistently moving the ball. Well, how do we say how well that is? If you get one yard per play, do I do I like that? No. And so that's where you get the concept of things like success rate and points per drive or, or DVOA, which kind of gives you partial credit. Um, and so 
what what I my idea of efficiency is not just that you are moving the ball, but it kind of attaches magnitude, right? Not all successful plays are created equal, very similar to baseball, right? Every time you put the ball in play and get to a base, that's not the exact same. The situation matters, but also did you get a double? Did you get a triple? Did you get a home run? Like those those add different values. And so um, efficiency to me is not only the consistent uh, creation of opportunity, but it is kind of the magnitude of opportunity as well. So that's that's really what I focus on when I think about efficiency. And again, that's why I love EPA because it attaches a point value to a success rate, um, but it also lets you have negative point values because very realistically, there are plenty of times you can uh, gain yards, but not improve your standing. That that does make sense. Now, I wanna ask you about field position. This is one of my, my favorite things to discuss. It is, it is so meaningful in a game, and yet rarely anybody even pays attention to where everybody starts with the ball, uh, how far punts are, et cetera. It, explain field position and what it means to the game. Yeah, so so very similar. Uh, you know, not all drives are created equal. Not all drives start the same. I think um, I think about Wisconsin and um, Wake Forest, the bowl game last year. Wisconsin won that game by multiple scores very comfortably, and, and Wake Forest had almost twice as many total yards as Wisconsin. The reason is that Wake Forest just politely turned and handed Wisconsin the ball at every opportunity, and so Wisconsin started drives from the Wake Forest 3, the Wake Forest 27, the Wake Forest 40, um, and they didn't have to score very, many, very much, right? Um, and so field position, I think if you win net field position, 72% of the time you're winning the game. That's not accounting for anything else. That's just saying straight up, how, how, where did your drive start? Um, and so I account for field position, of course, because EPA takes into account field position. But so using field position, what I can do is say, what is the expected value of this drive based on where you started? And then where did you end up? And that lets me kind of account for, okay, if you started all your drives at the opponent 40, but you only scored three times, uh, you might have won field position, but you weren't very efficient. And so uh, I can kind of account for, you know, it's it's easier to score. Short field drives is something I like to look at to assess kind of, um, I do a, a little segment on Twitter called, did they get beat that bad? Uh, and say like, all right, how, how bad was this game actually? And and uh, short drive scores is, is one that I look at because often you'll see a team, you know, put up 17 points and they will have scored two two touchdowns off turnovers and then not move the ball at all on any other drive. And you're like, well, in terms of uh, ascertaining the relative quality of these two teams, those are actually pretty fluky scores. And so I need to account for that. That makes sense. Kyle, let's dive back over to you. Uh, we have mentioned multiple times on the show already today, yards per play. Uh, tell me exactly what that is. I, I believe it's exactly how it sounds, right? Yeah, I mean, this one's pretty simple. It's just, you know, yards per play. And then I like to talk about yards per play margins, um, you know, because this allows you to see some misleading box scores, you know. So we see some of those games where somebody has 500 yards, the other team has 400 yards. But if one team that, that had all those yards had twice as many plays, then they weren't really very efficient. So uh, we keep circling back to saying efficiency, right? But, um, you know, this is a, something where yards per play you know, we're looking at in a specific area or when it comes to a margin, how do you do, whether it be against the pass, against the run, things like that. But yeah, this one's this one's simple. It's just as it sounds. That makes sense. Now, I want to know about statistical regression analysis. Uh, I saw you put this in our in our little group chat here, and I am intrigued. I want to know about statistical regression analysis. 
Yeah, I like this one a lot because this is kind of how I, I look at, you know, I look at the raw data and I find teams who stand out one way or another. So you look at all the numbers and you say, okay, team A is converting 65% on third down through five games. And they've also scored a touchdown on 12 out of 12 trips into the red zone. So some people would like to say, well, this team's just really amazing. I mean, they're just going to score every time they get in the red zone. Me, I say, you know, I guess I'm a skeptic. But then you just say, this can't keep happening. You know, now I will say one team that kind of broke this rule was LSU with Joe Burrow there a couple of years ago. I mean, just ridiculously efficient. They just kept scoring in the red zone and taking. Obviously, they were just loaded. But the majority of teams are not going to be able to do that time after time. So then you see a matchup and you see a line. You see one team who scored, you know, six out of 12 times into the red zone. The other scored 12 out of 12, a touchdown. And the third down conversion percentage is different or something like that. You know, you want, you're looking for something that stands out from the average because betters aren't going to go that, that deep, most of them. So I'm trying to go a little bit deeper and say, okay, this team's favored by seven. But the reason they're favored by seven is because this is, uh, they're not going to be able to keep this up. You know, this is something where I want to take the points with the other side because, you know, over time, you know, in baseball, if somebody's hitting 400, it's not going to stay that way. You know, I mean, this is it's not going to keep going. Same thing in football. You know, there are teams that can be the exception, but we're talking about 130 teams in D1 college football. And if you see these uh, things that are outliers, you want to try to take advantage of those. And that's the point of regression analysis. And so you want to take advantage of the unsustainable, right? That makes sense. All right, we're going to change topics. Those were our common terms. Now let's dive over to strategies for analyzing these games. Uh, Kyle, we're going to start back with you again, okay? Uh, tell me how power ratings help you analyze a game. So the power ratings, obviously, I'll spit out a number for every single game, and I always try to do this before any of the numbers come out because I don't want the market to adjust what I think. You know, Because if you just start looking at all the numbers and you say, well, I should probably put it something close to that. So you want to block everything else out. So that makes Saturday night and Sunday some pretty busy times because, you know, before the lines come out, you're going back through looking at box scores and stuff, you know, late Saturday nights, here I am, everybody else is sleeping and I'm uh, looking through all the box scores, trying to adjust my power ratings, things like that. But block everything else, look at the power ratings, and then it gives me something to start from. But it, Parker said this earlier, and it's something I wanted to say here too, is that, that number that it spits out does not necessarily mean that I have to make that bet, you know, because if if it's minus 10 on mine and it's minus six and a half is the actual line. But if I see matchup problems or other things in the statistics that I think this is not, I'm not one of those guys that just automatically bets it. You know, this you is just, just a just starting point for me. You, yeah, you mentioned another one right there that I do want you to dive into matchups. Uh, power ratings are not the end all be all. You got to look at these individual matchups, right? Sure, the power ratings give you a place to start, but that's not where you should finish. I think the people who just say, you know, that's it, I'm just going to use my power ratings or I'm going to, whatever number is spit out, I'm not going to look at anything else. You know, if you can have success that way, then then good on you. But I think that's difficult because college football is very matchup based. You know, we're going to see these teams that come up against another team that maybe they've seen the triple option so many times and you go up against Army and they're just so much better at stopping the run on the triple option than somebody else's. You know, um, matchup based, a really good example of something like this, and I feel like we've talked about Army and Navy and those teams quite a bit, but uh, bear with me here. Army, Navy, we know every game's gone under the total year after year after year because of the matchup. They're used to seeing them in practice. They play against this exact same team as far as what they run. 
So every year the total gets lower, and I, I'm thinking pretty soon the total in the Army-Navy game is going to be in the 20s, you know, something like that. But, you know, we, we see these really low totals, and I think for about five, six, seven years in a row, I won the under taking that. And then I started saying, I can't take the under. This is too low. I can't take under 37. And every year it still lands, and I get a little bit more frustrated. But, you know, matchup analysis is so uh, crucial because every team has a weakness, you know, even if it's a relative weakness. So is the other team going to be able to take advantage of that? You don't just want to go with power ratings. You want to know what the matchup looks like. That makes sense. A good example, Mike Leach coach teams, if they cannot block on the outside, if they can't block a pass rush, those quarterbacks cannot sit back there long enough to let their guys get open, which is exactly what his offense does in case that's a matchup nightmare, right? So, uh, Parker, let's dive back over to you. This one is interesting. Ratings derived by accounting for sample size. Now, uh, go ahead and explain that one to me. I'm uh, I'm interested in this. Yeah, so that that was a little bit. I think I, I got ahead of the uh, uh, got the cart before the horse there, talking about you know Air Force increasing their their um, passing efficiency. Like if yes. I increase the number of passes, their efficiency is going to go down. And so uh, I look at you know I look at pace to look at sample size and say. Um, I use some kind of inequality measures to say like what percent of your successful play or what, what percent of your point points came for what percent of your drives and look at kind of how concentrated success and EPA are um, to give me an idea of how fluky a team is or how consistent they are and what what might uh, make me nervous going going forward. So yeah, what I what I basically do to project a game is I have you know a little a little dumb algorithm that says, Again, football's like bowling. The game basically starts at 24-24, and you add or subtract points based on every drive, and then you get a final score, right? Um, and so what I do is I use that little algorithm. I get some points. I get a win probability, and then I compare 38. I have uh, – it's kind of like, you know, Colonel Sanders has, what, 18 herbs and spices or whatever? Uh, 11 herbs and spices. I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> I have, you know, 30, 38 herbs and spices uh, to a college football game, and I'm a very visual person, and so I just put up, you know, give me some gradients to make sure what's good and bad. And then I look at my numbers, and then I look at these specific matchups, and I look at things like um, – uh, you know, hey, their their passing efficiency is really high, but their number of attempts is actually pretty low. And so that's going to key me into, OK, the run game is more important here. How does that affect and how do I kind of tinker with my lines based on these these matchups? But I'm kind of a, you know, get the get the entire picture, get everything that I think is plausibly important in a game, get those in front of me and then start kind of poking holes and things and say, all right, where might be the deciding factors and who has the edge here and how might that translate to points? All right, the other strategy I want to ask you about on this one is the exact thing that everybody claims that the media has against their team, right? Everybody hates their team. Uh, who is, Stephen Godfrey is the one that Stephen Godfrey hates my team. There's a there's a T-shirt, right? So uh, tell me about bias. Yeah, so I I think that. Uh... <laughs> Bias is really important to understand, not only from the sense of statistical bias, so like why might there be reasons that these numbers are off consistently, but also, um, you know, a, a dream is a wish your heart makes. And in college football, a lot of people like to dream and they like to wish and they like to say, you know what? I think that this left tackle, like the, the worst kind of analytics, the worst kind of biased football interpretation is actually this bad thing is good. Right. And it's kind yes. of that attitude. Um, and so I really like to be as dispassionate as possible. I run a lot of exercises where I'll pull random teams and say team A, team B, and then say, what do I think about this as kind of a training exercise? 
and then I'll look at the team names and say, oh, how did this color my perception? That also really helps in my um, conference adjustments and kind of opponent adjustments, kind of random sampling and saying, am I biased towards a certain you know, conference? Do I, would, I pick a, would I pick a team based on their conference name uh, rather than their stats? And then how do my stats kind of reflect these differences? Um, and so I think, especially embedding dispassion uh, and dispassionate analysis are a uh, are virtues. And so it's really, really hard to do that, especially when you do kind of have these gut feelings of, hey, what are these subjective matchups? Um, and so I, I really like to combat bias by kind of having these objective, you know, get everything out on the table, kind of have this objective process to highlight what matchups uh, make me nervous here. Why might I think they go one way or another? And, and kind of do that without regard to the name on the jersey or the, the conference that, I, that that people are playing in. That tends to make sense. Now, Kyle, uh, something, I guess, somewhat similar to that, uh, the buy low, sell high idea. Uh, you you just kind of hit on it a little bit when we were talking about matchups and power rankings and and all that. But but let's talk about buying low and, and selling high. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I have a background in investing. So it's not unlike the stock market in that you want to buy low and you want to sell high. I know that sports betting is not exactly the same, but the best sports bettors understand the market really well. They know when the line is likely to move a certain way. Uh, I feel like that's one of my strengths as a handicapper is, is seeing, okay, this side's probably going to get the money because I've seen what bettors like every single week. I've seen that, you know, based on uh, perception of these teams, it's probably going to go in one direction. So what we try to do here is I'm trying to look week in and week out to see what the market's going to like and what the market's not going to like. Perception and recency bias can be really strong. So, you know, you what you just saw last year or last game or whatever it may be, we see this in college football. Some of these teams are way different than what they were the year before. But if they just won a huge bowl game at the end of last season, perception is going to be too high on them that next year. So the goal there with uh, the pick strategy is to, to be able to uh, buy a team when nobody else wants to and sell a team when everybody else is trying to buy. Because at some point, you know, the market's just going to get too high on everybody or too low on everybody because the point spread is still the great equalizer. That, yes, you're 100% right. Uh, Parker, let's go back over to you. Tell me how randomness plays into analyzing a football game. Yeah, so, so I mentioned earlier, you know, it's it's uh, everything's a, a draw from a distribution, and we have to talk about kind of what are the salient and persistent uh aspects of a game that that kind of inform us as to like performance in the future and so i categorically toss out special teams and defensive touchdowns because those are so random so if you think about it one special teams are extremely sustainable um and i don't really get it um you know th there are times every football coach will say special teams wins or loses games and sure if you're giving up kick returns on the regular um you're you're gonna lose uh kind of you're gonna lose games you shouldn't uh, I think about Iowa State, Louisiana last year. Terrible special teams play, and they lost. I mean, they played poorly, but they they realistically should have won that game. And so uh, I I don't think that those are uh, really informative as to totals or, or points. Those are really often flukes, and they're more noisy than they are um, informative. Uh, and the you know the flip side is like defensive touchdowns. I don't know that I get a signal uh, about how good a team is if a quarterback throws an interception and it just happens to be across the other side of the field and that player just happens to be running to the end zone untouched. Um, the, the fact of the matter is they wasted a possession, not kind of what happened 
not not the fact that the the defense scored there. That doesn't help me with the magnitude. So um, again, th- th- there is so much randomness in football. You look at turnovers. Um, so I don't use raw turnover totals uh, because again, footballs bounce weirdly, and you know there's an expectation. So I actually look at you know percent of fumbles lost, percent of um, pass breakups that turn into interceptions and and kind of do some expectations there to say you're right every interception is not a deserved interception and there are plenty of non-interceptions that that should matter um some of the charting sites will have like a, a turnover worthy play kind of stat and again that's subjective because different people are watching the games and even though they theoretically have a rubric that they're grading it on i'm still it's still subject to the interpretation of the person who's charting it so those are a little noisy but still kind of step in the right uh, you know right direction I don't care so much that you fumble often and lose fumbles often. I, I really care um, how much are you giving up opportunities to to lose the ball in the form of a fumble, and then we can you know look at how much you recover or not. What what matters is how often does the ball hit the ground when you're when you're carrying it. So that's kind of what the the, the random aspects, the special teams, the defensive scores, the turnovers. Um, I think we put way too much stock in that. And a good example of randomness kind of goes uh, one one adage I like a, a friend of mine, Rob Bowron, who has a, a beta rank. Um, is his metric system. And he always talks about yards per play and turnover margin. Look at those two. And if they go in the same direction, that team probably won. If they go in the different direction, the turnover team, uh, the team that won the turnover margin probably won and it was probably really, really fluky. And so that's kind of how you account for randomness is say, you know, again, I care about open field. I'm best on best. My offense is trying to do X. Your defense is trying to do Y. Who's going to succeed? Not, oh, this random bounce determine the outcome of a game. Again, that's why a lot of metric systems will not align with wins and losses. And you won't get, um, you know, you'll have a four and eight team who's really, really high ahead of a couple teams that are, you know, seven and eight wins. It's because, you know, the, the, the arbitrary nature of the game doesn't really tell me how good or bad a team is. That is, yes, you're you're correct about that. Uh, Kyle, let's move over to you. We haven't talked a lot about totals, and that is where you tend to shine. Tell me about matchup uh, tempo-based. How how does that play into analyzing a game? Yeah, so the way you look at this, and it's, it's probably a little easier to understand with something like college basketball because it's easy to slow a game down in college basketball. You just kind of stall. Uh, in college football, it's a little bit more tricky. You know, some of these teams, depending on who they're playing against, will decide – that they want to play fast or they want to play slow. So we would try to look at history and we look at what they've done against similar teams. So uh, totals tempo-based matchup issues for me are, you know, if you go up against a team that's going to be a problem for you, maybe you change the way you play. So if we go back to a a recent time that you've played a similar opponent and we see that you've done something out of the norm, then to me that kind of uh, perks my ears up. I'm like, okay, so something here must be a little bit different. So this is where you can combine history into also just what their tempo is for the course of the season, because, you know, the raw tempo number doesn't always tell us the full story, kind of like Parker was saying. So in this case, you know, we're looking at tempo based adjusted metrics to where you can just be saying, okay, points per play, points per possession, uh, how many possessions will each team have? based on how who they're playing against it might go a little bit differently than some people think so you can get an edge based on looking at the matchup now along with that um the regression we we brought that up a little bit earlier but how does that play in with totals so in totals the other thing that leads to regression is some of the things that parker was just talking about so you get these really high scoring games and so these are some of my favorite unders to take like when you see that 
uh, like you said, when Wake Forest just handed the game to Wisconsin last year, I mean, uh, Wisconsin's offense didn't really do anything there. I mean, you, you would have expected they would have. But I love looking for these games and you see, you know, uh, 4.1 yards per play and 3.8 yards per play. And the score was 56 to 48. And you go, oh, my gosh. So, you know, something wildly random just happened in this game. Uh, you know, I love it's probably too, too much. You know, sometimes I'll be like, I'll say something to my wife. I'll be like, oh, my gosh, I just found this amazing box score. You know, it's like hey, you just kind of nerd out a little bit. Right. And you say next week, I'm going to look for an under with these teams because they just can't keep that up. But occasionally you'll see teams that do that for a couple weeks in a row. Uh, long term, that makes for a good under. It can obviously go the other way where you turn the ball over in the red zone consistently or something. And you have this low scoring game that was extremely fast paced and it was 13 to 10. So those are things that move the markets when they shouldn't move the markets as much as they do. That yes, yes, I like those as well, my friend. Parker, we're going to close out with you. One of my favorite stats of all time in the Alabama Ole Miss game last year was a perfect example of this. Tell me about available yards. Yeah, so I, I like uh, uh, available yards, and I was I was thinking while Kyle was saying that about the weird games, I was thinking one, one that's been it's been ruining my life this week is Arizona State Arizona last year, because <laughs> Arizona State won seventy to seven. Arizona State is like the darling pick right now of like oh they're a dark horse, you know Jaden Daniels is amazing, and this game started off Arizona State returns a touchdown, uh, returns a kick for a touchdown. Arizona fumbles on their own four and Arizona State scores. Arizona throws an interception and Arizona State scores a 21-yard touchdown or a 41-yard touchdown, rather. Uh, and they're up 21 to nothing, you know, before the fourth quarter is over. over. And stuff like that is, you know, you just have to remember football happens, man. And so you can't, you can't, uh, you can't forget that, like, this is a football game. And we, we've got to think about, like, oh, if I just go only by the numbers, I'm going to get stuck by something like Arizona State just – you know, absolutely pantsing Arizona last year. Um, answering your question, uh, a, a, a available yards, I think, is a really nice, succinct way to kind of account for field position. Again, I like to look at multiple angles of the same thing to confirm, uh, you know, if if your points, if your uh, echo rate is really high, but your available yards is low, I'm very confused about that, right? So um, we it gives me an opportunity to kind of dive deeper and say what's happening here, even though they're sort of measuring the same thing. Um, and so uh, the, the team that gets more available yards or a higher percent of available yards wins the game 68.8% of the time, um, you know, not, uh, not accounting for anything else. So available yards just say, hey, if you start on your own 25, that's 75 yards to the goal line. Well, then I'm just going to give you credit for how many yards you got on that drive. Um, and so, you know, you get a touchdown. Well, hey, you get 100% of your air yards for that drive. And then I can kind of sum across um for for all of that uh gary i'm totally blanking live on air because i feel like we've talked about the old miss stat do you do you have that off ha off hand it's, i, I don't have it on? i don't have it on me it was alabama gained like 94 percent of the available yards, something like that they they had one drive that ended in a punt everything else was a touchdown in the game it was just absurd yeah yeah i wish i wish i had had that um uh, because that one was really, really funny. And there are some really, really weird ones um, where teams, you know, just absolutely blow the doors off. I think I think it was in non-garbage time, like 96%. I just pulled up a, a tweet I had that was just uh, absolute domination, right? And that one stat gives me a lot of information as to what happened. Um, and again, affirms, you know, it wasn't like old Mrs. Punter kept losing the ball over his head and Alabama was scoring cheap touchdowns. It was, you know what, this, this game was pretty, pretty one-sided. Yes, yes, it was. Uh, I am 
immensely smarter now for listening to both of you talk about these. And these are all terms and strategies that we will be discussing the entire season. So again, make sure that you are subscribed, that you like the video, and that you go ahead and hit that notification bell so that you know when we go live. I'll go ahead and jump topics again. This will be our last topic of the day, and I'm going to handle this one, guys. I hope that's okay. The show schedule breakdown. Now, we are going to break down uh, the games in two different shows throughout the week. Again, we're not going to jump into a bunch of storylines and all that. We're going to talk actual football. We're going to talk the numbers behind these games, and we're going to talk about the games where we find value. And to do that, we're going to have a Wednesday show at 5 p.m. Eastern time, and we're going to discuss the weeknight games and the Saturday morning games. Now, obviously, we may not find value with every single weeknight game. We may not find value with every Saturday morning game. But we're going to try and set it up to where everything goes in a timeline, and the games that are closest to us at that point are when we are going to discuss them. So uh, along with that, we are going to hit on the Thursday games. Uh, we're going to go live at, uh, excuse me, the Thursday show, 12 p.m. Eastern time on that we are going to be discussing specifically Saturday games on Thursday, uh, usually the afternoon and evening games. And let me remind everyone, of course, there is a Q&A at the end of every show. So if we do not hit on the game that you want us to discuss, you can jump into the chat and we will discuss it, or at least let you know why we don't find value in whatever that line is. That is the most important thing. Uh, we have had several people jumping in. We had Natalie in. We had James who jumped in and asked about taking the under in New Mexico and UTEP. We're going to talk about that game tomorrow. So today is just strategies, just common terms, letting you know what to expect from us throughout this season. Uh, guys, you know, is there anything else that, that you feel like I need to hit on before we get out of here? I think we're, we're good, good. ready for games to happen. Yes. Oh, it's yeah. this weekend. It is week zero. I am so excited. So again, a reminder, we will be live tomorrow, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, talking about the four games that are on the board for this weekend. So make sure, again, that you are subscribed to the channel and that you hit that notification bell. Now, I can't state this enough. Comment and like the video. That helps out the channel quite a bit. We are starting this from ground zero. We There is no anything that we are building this on other than we just started it. So... Go ahead and share it out with your friends. Jump in the comments. That helps. Like the video. Subscribe, etc. That certainly helps us out. Now, before we get out of here, go ahead and remind you, BetUS is where the game begins. Go to BetUS.com. Enter the promo code NCAAF2021. You're going to get a 125% deposit bonus up to $2,500. That is ridiculous. So go ahead and take advantage of it while you can. There is a link down in the description. It is awesome. I'm telling you, I've used them forever. I love this company. Go to BetUS.com. It's where the game begins. And with that, we are going to get out of here. We will see you all again tomorrow for BetUS.com, where the game begins.